Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, last week you'll remember we started a brand new study in the book of Jeremiah. If you weren't here last week, if the blizzard kept you away, you tried to come, you couldn't make it through the snow, you can actually find these sermons online. And we spent a lot of time last week building some of the context around Jeremiah, where we're dropping in at in history, who Jeremiah was, where he's from, who these kings are that are mentioned at the beginning of the chapter. So I would encourage you to listen to that and get some more of the context here. We're going to drop in on Jeremiah chapter 1 beginning in verse 9. Hear now God's word. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. And the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their hands. But you dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that today we would hear with our ears, but we would also hear with our hearts that you would do exactly what you promised to do, that you would speak your word and perform your word in us and in this church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think all of us know by now that if one of our friends is being bullied, they're being teased, we shouldn't go to them and tell them to respond to a bully by saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, right? You shouldn't encourage someone to say that because, first of all, it's a really, really bad idea to remind a bully that they have weapons that they can be using, right? Sticks and stones are going to work. Uh, and the second thing is, because we know that's not true, we know that words actually can hurt like heck. I mean, they can do a lot of damage, The first chapter of Jeremiah is all about words. It's all about the work that words can do. In fact, the very first word, the very first Hebrew word of Jeremiah is words. I was working through the first chapter of Jeremiah 1 in my English Bible, and I circled every word-related word. You've got words, saying, say, said, speak, mouth, calling, declare. And as I worked through them, I counted 25 word-related words in Jeremiah chapter 1 alone. 
Now, this shouldn't surprise us because God is coming to Jeremiah and he's calling him to be a prophet. A prophet is a mouthpiece of God. A prophet is a person who speaks forth the word of God. And so God is coming to Jeremiah and saying, I want you to be a prophet. And Jeremiah understands that because he responds, God, you don't know me. I'm young and I don't speak well. I can't speak these words. God responds to him, don't say that. You're going to say what I tell you to say. And so today I want us to do two things. Number one, I want us to watch words at work. And number two, I want us to consider the work of words, right? Is that crystal clear to everybody? Watch words at work, consider the work of words. We're going to watch words at work. We're going to see prophecy happen. We're going to get a little taste of what prophecy looks like. And then number two, we're going to consider the work of words. We're going to take a step back from the prophecy that's happening, and we're going to think about what words are capable of, what they can do, what God's word can do. So we're going to start first with words at work in verses 11 through 19. And to understand this prophecy, we need to get a little more history behind this book to see where we stand in Jeremiah's day. You guys remember that a year ago we studied 1 Samuel, and so we heard something about the first three kings of Israel. You have King Saul, King David, King Solomon. They were all kings of this united kingdom, the kingdom that God had called to be his people and to be his kingdom here on earth. They were the first three kings. But when Solomon's son Rehoboam came to power, the kingdom split into two. God's united kingdom was divided into two, ten tribes formed in the north, and they were to be called the kingdom of Israel, and they were under the leadership of Jeroboam, and two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, they formed together under Rehoboam, and they are called the kingdom of Judah. That division of these two tribes went on for two hundred years. God's kingdom was broken into two, and Israel in the north was the wealthier, more powerful of the two. They waged war with each other. They had peace with each other, but every single king in the north was wicked. They did things that displeased God. They followed after idols. They completely disobeyed God. Now, towards the end of that time, a new kingdom began to arise in the world that would become the world superpower. And it was under the leadership of a king named Tiglath-Pileser. Tiglath-Pileser led Assyria to world domination. Now, I think that's an awesome name, Tiglath-Pileser. And I think that if we have a fifth child, I'm tempted to name something. First name, middle name, Tiglath-Pileser, because it's a cool name and because I think it will be our undoing as a family to have a fifth. But Tiglath-Pileser, he totally dominates the known world. And towards the end of this 200 years of this divided kingdom, his successor comes. And because of the wickedness of the northern kingdom of Israel, he marches on Israel and completely wipes the nation off the map. He exiles the people, he destroys Samaria, and the northern kingdom is no more. This happens in 722 BC. That's an important date for us to remember And that's all happening a hundred years before Jeremiah is born. That means when we read and study this book and we hear Judah or Jerusalem or Israel, 
we are only in this book talking about the only kingdom that remains, and that is the kingdom of Judah, these two tribes that exist in the south. Their sister is gone in the north, and all of a sudden they find themselves surrounded by Assyrians and Medes and Moabites and Edomites and Egyptians. You'd think that Judah would have learned the lesson from his sister in the north, right? You think he would have seen the devastation wrought on the kingdom of Israel and Judah would have amended her ways and followed after God. But Judah taps into this universal human folly that you can watch somebody make terrible, terrible choices. You can watch them suffer awful consequences for those choices. And you can think, I can make those same bad choices and I can eke out a different set of consequences. It wasn't true for Israel in the north and it will not be true for Judah in the south. I want us to join our text in verse 11. Because God calls Jeremiah to be his prophet, and then he tests him with two images. He gives him an almond branch and a boiling pot. Now, I'd be very curious to know how this happens. How does Jeremiah see these things? I want to know how prophecy works here. And we just don't get a lot of details. We don't know if Jeremiah fell asleep and he dreamed these things. We don't know if he is awake, but he goes into a trance and sees a vision of this. Or we don't know if Jeremiah is just walking through the neighborhood in Anathoth and he literally sees two things that would have been very familiar to him, almond branches and boiling pots of water. But either way, these images are a test for Jeremiah. These are a toe dipping in the shallow end of the apocalyptic prophecy pool. God is saying, I want to test you and see if you can see these things well. Almond branch, boiling pot, a word of hope, and a word of warning. So here these things are. First of all, God comes to him and says, what do you see? And he says, I see an almond branch. And God says, you've seen well because I'm watching over my word. And actually, this is a play on words because the Hebrew word almond sounds like the Hebrew word for watching. Almond trees are everywhere in Anathoth. You would have seen them everywhere you go. Jeremiah would have been very familiar with them. And they're one of the first trees to bloom in the spring. And it's almost like God is saying, when you look out and everything lies dormant in your life and in your surroundings, I'm ready to blossom new things. This is a word of hope for you. No matter what it looks like, I am ready to do a new thing in your midst. He comes to him a second time. I don't know if this is immediately after or sometime later, but he says, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, I see a boiling pot and it's beginning to tip from the north towards the south. And God says, you've seen rightly, this is what I'm about to do. Because of Judah's sin, I am going to summon disaster from the north and I'm going to punish her for her sin. Now, Nobody could have known this at the start of Jeremiah's ministry when he says those things, but there is actually a new superpower that is coming to the world scene. This power has been humiliated by Assyria, but Assyria is on the wane, and we're going to meet a new empire, the Babylonian Empire, which will, decades later, indeed rise to power, come from the east down the northern route, and will completely annihilate Jerusalem. 
Nobody could have known that when Jeremiah is saying this. This is a prophecy that he sees in the future, and he speaks as a word of warning. Those are two prophecies. They're going to be fulfilled. Those are words that are working. They're speaking hope and warning into existence. God says these things, and now they exist where they didn't exist before. That's prophecy at work. But I want to take a step back from that, and I want to, in verses 9 and 10, consider the work of words. I want to consider what these words are actually capable of. Look with me at verse 10. He says, See, I have set this, you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. God has enormous expectations on his words. God says that when I speak these things, they are actually going to do and fulfill something. And he gives us three analogies to explain what his words are going to do, and they actually mirror each other. So he begins and ends with a farming analogy. He says, words can pluck up and they can plant. And then he moves towards the center with a construction analogy. He says, words can break down and they can build. And then at the very center, he gives us a pair of warfare analogies when he says, words can destroy and overthrow. You've got four negative descriptions, two positive descriptions. They all deliver the unmistakable message. What is must be wiped away to make room for what will be. There's grown up in Judah's day and in our day, a web of lies and habits strung together that co-opt the way we see the world, we see the church, we see our families, and we see ourselves. And God says in Jeremiah, like he says in the book of Hebrews, truth-telling hurts. It feels like a two-edged sword that has to do its cutting and its hurting before it can do its healing. You've got to pluck before you can plant. You've got to break down before you can build. This is what my word at work is going to do, God says. You know, lately I've been reading the book of James, and I've been lingering on chapter 3, which is that very familiar passage about the power of the human tongue. You guys remember James talking about the human tongue? And he says, think about a bridle. A bridle is a, just a tiny little tool, but in the mouth of a horse, it can turn a massive animal in one direction or another. I mean, think about a rudder. A rudder is just a tiny part of a ship, but it can actually turn an entire ship in one direction or another. So it is with the human tongue. The human tongue is just a small part of our body, but it can do a world of harm or of good. And it's actually harm that James has in mind. He says, think about what it takes to start a forest fire. Uh, Back in November, there was a group of campers who were up in Table Rock, and they made a fire, and they were camping, and they put the campfire out, but not totally out, and they went to bed, and the wind picked up, and it blew the embers from that fire in several different directions. And before you know it, 10,000 acres have been burnt up in Table Rock. One thing to read that, it's another thing to see that. And I got to go with a friend up to Pinnacle Mountain, and we hiked for nine miles, and we saw 
nothing but scorched earth in either direction. James says, you think that's crazy? Watch what a loose human tongue can do. You put a loose tongue in a dad who nitpicks his wife and his kids, and you can watch a house make itself scarce. It's just a little human tongue in a home, but nobody's in the living room, nobody's in the family room, everybody's hiding in their bedroom. You put a tiny, loose human tongue in a church, and you give it a little space to whisper, a little space to criticize, a little space to pick up the phone and call another person, and a tiny human tongue can split a church in two. You put a girl in front of a mirror, and you let her replay years worth of loose tongues in her mind, and you're going to watch that girl make war on her body. James says, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That's the power of a human tongue. If we can begin to wrap our minds around the power that a human tongue has, we can only begin to understand and imagine the power behind God's tongue. And whatever measure the human tongue can do ill, God's tongue, it can do infinite good. His words might hurt like crazy, It might feel like they're doing more plucking than planting, more tearing down than they are building up, but they can do infinite good. And the book of Jeremiah is going to put this principle to the test. A word of warning can sound forth from Jeremiah, from this book, and completely freeze us in our tracks. Under the watchful eye of God, hearing this word, we dare not take another step in the evil we were planning to do. A word of rebuke, it can sound forth from this book and it can hit us right between the eyes. And by the power of this Holy Spirit, our life that was headed in one direction can be grabbed and turned in repentance to an entirely different direction at great cost to ourselves. But there's planting and building to be done in this book too. We're going to hear words of promise that are frankly too good to be true. They're going to sound forth from this book and they're going to take our community, our entire lives to believe and apply them. We're going to hear words of hope from this book that sound forth hope which makes blooming almond branches just the beginning. We're going to hear about a righteous branch from the line of David who's going to rule the world with peace. And we're going to hear words of love. Words that can fall on deaf ears for those who feel unlovely. But when they're spoken by the mouth of God and they're animated by the power of Easter, They become the things that our hearts most want to hear. God says in verse 12, I am watching over my word to perform it. He's not just saying, I want it said right, I want it heard right, I want it understood right. He's saying, I'm going to take it and I'm going to perform it. I'm going to speak my word and I'm going to do something with it. 
I'm going to change this entire community. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would have courage to hear your word. You're going to speak it. And in our lives and in our church, it's going to do some plucking and some tearing down. But it's going to do some planting and some building up too. And I pray that we would open ourselves to be hurt by this word so that we can be healed by it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.